Hello and welcome to the St. Dominic Media Podcast, where we strive to bring the power of the gospel to the world. On today's episode of Catholic in America, I have a uh, just an awesome conversation, an encouraging conversation with uh, Father John Ricardo from the Archdiocese of, of Detroit, who is uh, just a great, amazing author, evangelist, and a leader in parish renewal. And we get to talk about uh, the meaning and power of Easter. So this is a great conversation. Thank you so much to all of our sponsors, those who have subscribed to this podcast and shared it with others. It means a lot. Um, so without further ado, please enjoy this interview with Father John Ricardo. Hello, and welcome back to Catholic in America. I'm Father Michael Nixon. Uh, we're so blessed for you to be joining us. We are, are, are still in our quarantine edition of the show. I'm here in our partially reconstructed studio in Panama City, Florida. And uh, we are now entering into the Easter season. I think a, a great question that we're going to be diving into during this show is the message of Easter. And in order to do that, I have a, a great friend of mine, a hero in the faith, just an awesome priest and man of God and brother in the Lord, Father John Ricardo, um, from all the way up in Michigan has joined us today. Welcome, Father John. Hey, Father Michael. How you doing, brother? I'm doing so good. And Awesome uh, to see you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you're up there in the snow um, right now in, in Michigan. Thankfully, it, it hasn't snowed in a couple of days. We got, uh, we got about an inch the other day, but uh, yeah, we're tired of this. Nice, it's sunny and 60 right now, so not too bad. We're, we're 72 and sunny nonstop right now in, in, in northwest Florida, so there's always a give and take. You know? <laughs> yes, there is. Enjoy it. Absolutely. Well, uh, again, we want to jump into, into uh, the message of Easter, but yeah. I want to start with you for those that maybe haven't heard uh, your story before um, of of how you encountered the Lord, how you first uh, met the Lord, and, and, and how you became a priest. We'd love to hear, hear that story. I'll give you the thumbnail. So I'm uh, 24 years ordained come in May, which is, wow, I'm like one of those guys now. I'm some in, in that generation. Um, and uh, I, would, uh, I would say, what's the easiest way to describe this? I am a living testimony to God's patience and mercy. Um, so I grew up um, knowing Jesus. I mean, I think I've had the gift of faith my whole life. I just, uh, in fact, I'm, I'm going through this retreat right now. And one of the things I'm most grateful for is the fact I, I honestly can't ever remember a time I didn't pray and that I didn't know God, uh, even from my youth. But like lots of people, you know, I, um, I started kind of straddling a fence uh, in those ages when so many people stray, you know, like. Uh, teenage years, college years, and whatnot. And two things were really significant for me. One, I had uh, the witness of my mom and dad, uh, who were my heroes in my life and, and in my faith, uh, which I always kind of fell back on. I knew my parents were happier than I was, <laughs> um, despite the fact that I was doing everything that I thought I wanted to do. And then I, uh, I was one of those people, I think like you too, who um, some young people my own age, maybe just a couple years older than me when I was at the university, um, they specifically targeted, you know, they would, uh, you came to find that out afterwards. Like they would try to like find guys, in my case, it was uh, guys who lived in a gym. And uh, they just shared the gospel with me. And I already knew the gospel, but I finally had peers my own age. And I think those two things, the witness of my family, especially my mom and dad, and then finally encountering people my own age who were just sold out for Jesus and who were clearly happy. Um, they, they provided the context for me to just say, okay, finally, Lord, I, I will do whatever you want. Cause I had this passion to do something significant with my life and mm. something that I thought would be great. I just didn't know what greatness looked like. Um, I knew it had something to do with faith and, uh, 
So at about 25 or so, God broke into my life in a pretty dramatic way and called me to priesthood. I mean, like just literally heard his voice say, uh, John, I'm calling you to be a priest. And I had never thought of priesthood in my life. And so since that was the case, I figured that was probably God. And I think I said something like, if that's really you, um, you have to give me a desire for it because I don't want to do that. I want a family. And that took about a day. And I quit my job, went to seminary, and uh, I have just loved being a priest ever since. And um, just the opportunities that God gives us to watch him break into people's lives mm. and, and sh uh, bring them from the nightmare that is life apart from God into a life of faith and the, the utter confidence that we can have in a God who has rescued us from sin and death. So mm. that's the thumbnail. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. With that, I, I think um, just just to go back real quick to your family, that that upbringing that you had, we're talking a lot right now about the domestic church because mm. right now people can't, you know, people are stuck in their homes. People can't go to mass. And just for me, seeing uh, friends that I have, my family members, their own creativity and how do you start to live, mm. um, you know, church at home, which should be, you know, uh, hopefully con constant for us as, as Catholic families. Uh, what what difference did that did that make for you for for that being a normal part of of your upbringing in, in, in your family? Oh yeah, that that made all the difference in the world for me. In fact, I agree. I think I think maybe the singular grace out of this crisis is a reclaiming of the role of the family uh, mm. as regards the faith. I mean, I've like you, I'm sure I've had so many pictures, stories sent my way. You know, like families who did a foot washing on Holy Thursday that they'll never forget. Yeah. you know, or renewing baptismal promises uh, together as a family on Holy Saturday in their house. They'll never forget that, right? Um, and even just simple things like eating meals together. In my case, um, I, think it's, I think it's George Weigel in his biography of Pope John Paul II, where he talks about um, the young Pope John Paul II grew up in a home where there was the normalcy of faith, and that was my home. I mean, mm. Jesus was just talked about um, all the time. And my dad was a very successful businessman, so I knew he didn't need a crutch. And the, it was clear that the most important person in his life was God. Um, I saw him pray. We never, we never prayed devotional prayers. I mean, that was probably a, a downside in my life growing up. But the, the, the positive side of that was I just learned to pray spontaneously from listening to my mom and dad. Uh, their Bible was always out on the kitchen table. Always. I'd see notes everywhere, highlight. Um, they led Bible studies in their house. Uh, we had people over to our home that we would host. And my parents, you know, we'd, we'd be out playing tennis or we'd be playing basketball or we'd be playing baseball. And then they'd come in and we'd talk about faith. And they'd talk about the Lord with, you know, my friends and whatnot. So just the normalcy of all that was so, and the integration maybe better than the normalcy. Yeah. Everything was everything was integrated. There was no like, well, we go to church on Sunday, and then there's no impact of our faith in the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. So they modeled that for me. It was beautiful to watch. And that's such and a kids are mimics, idea. right? So I just did what they did. Right, right. But I think too, just of of kind of you know the foundation for vocations. Um, 
um, mm. comes out of that place, you know, good, good the, the vocation to marriage, but also vocation to priesthood, religious life, being a missionary, all those things, those, um, you know, uh, radical ways that God can call us to love um, that comes out of that, that normalcy, uh, if, you, if, if you will, of mm. following Jesus. You've already made the, heart, the tough decision to follow Jesus. You know, so any, anything else he asks you to do, like, like in your case, you know, asking you to become a priest, mm. um, inviting you to become a priest, if you've already decided to follow him, then you've already, you've already dropped the nets in a sense. And, 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 it, and it makes sense in light of that. Yeah. And, and maybe two other things just to add to that. One is, um, so my mom and dad's favorite line that they would repeat over and over again. So they were married in 1950. They're both passed away now, but back then in the church, um, the, especially if it was a mixed marriage, my mom was not Catholic. Um, there would be a lengthy exhortation which was read to the couple. And there was a line in this exhortation which for some reason they held onto and repeated to us all the time. And the line was, sacrifice is always tedious and irksome. Hmm. <laughs> love can make it bearable. Perfect love makes it a joy. And so they would repeat that all the time and they would teach that to us. And more importantly, they modeled it. And so I'm, I'm one of five kids. We saw them living a life of sacrifice for each other. And we saw how happy they were by pouring themselves out for one another. And so it just laid this foundation of, okay, so happiness comes from giving. Now mm -hmm. the question is just going to become, am I going to give to, you know, a wife um, in that kind of a relationship and marriage, or is God calling me to give in a particular way, in my case, as a priest? And uh, so the foundation, that was huge, right? The other thing was um, my dad explicitly gave me permission um, one day in a conversation with him, his blessing, actually, uh, to do whatever God was calling me to do. Hmm. And, and he said that very directly. He says, John, I will bless whatever God wants. And I didn't realize it at the time. I was in my early 20s. But more and more as I look back, him saying that to me very concretely um, gave me permission to run after whatever God wanted for me. And I've, I've talked to, you know, other guys who are priests or who didn't get that same experience. Yeah. And to men and women who just felt like, oh, no, I always had to do something in particular to kind of earn my parents' approval or whatnot. So, the, you know, uh, just an exhortation, encouragement to parents, you know, just continue to bless your kids and to let them know, Hey, whatever God's calling you to, I'm behind and, and, and you have my blessing. I love that evangelization by attraction that your parents were, were embodying mm -hmm. by, by their yes to each other, their, their, their life as a married couple with its ups and downs. Mm -hmm. Um, but in a sense that spoke, that spoke to you that you said they're happier than I am, you know, that, uh, and I think that's such a, such a, a beautiful call of, of, of our imitation as Christians as followers of Jesus is, is to evangelize by attraction. Our, our, our life should be attractive to people. Not that we're without suffering or without pain or, or sorrows, but that in the midst of that, that we know that we're loved and that makes such a huge difference. Yeah. And even part of the attraction is uh, the, the willingness, the readiness to admit when I'm wrong, hmm. uh, to ask up, to ask for forgiveness, um, humility. I mean, all the things that the world doesn't offer, right? I mean, like, Where's the models of humility in the world right now? There's not a lot of them. Um, and so it was not only their joy, but just kind of authentic human life. It was so attractive to see people living 
a life of integrity, which wasn't perfection by any means. It was just a life of integrity. And uh, in fact, their, their vulnerability and their willingness to be vulnerable mm. was as helpful as anything else, I think, as opposed to creating this facade that, no, I'm, right. I'm totally okay and complete package. No one is. So that even their faults become a place of, of grace, you know, totally. and that, that's, that's the difference. Um, we're entering right now. Um, praise God for your parents, uh, Father John. That, Amen. Uh, <laughs> praise God for them and for all the parents out there that are passing on the faith and living that. Um, my parents as well. Um, so grateful. The uh, we're in, right now in this tremendous season of Easter, and I think uh, for many Catholics, many Christians, many people who are kind of casual Christians, that's usually one of the few days that people come to church or come to Mass. I know a lot of people tuned in online. But I, I, I have a feeling you probably, uh, I know you have a lot to, to, to speak into this, that many times we've kind of domesticated um, Easter. Easter, almost uh, the, the world-shaking, life-changing power of Easter. Maybe we haven't experienced it as that. So it's become kind of a pastel uh, Easter bunny sort of, sort of uh, reality. Um, yeah, so, so really, what is the message of Easter and, and why should this be, be, be shaking us, shaking us and changing our lives and allow us to be that force for change in the world? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what I've been reflecting on myself uh, over the last couple of weeks, especially is, um, so first of all, um, the, the message of Easter is that uh, God made man, Jesus, has gone to the cross. Uh, it didn't happen to him. Uh, he willed it. Mm. And in willing it, not only his passion, but then his resurrection from the dead, what has he done? He has defeated the powers of sin and death which have held our race in slavery since our rebellion back in Eden. So take our country right now. All the anxiety and all the fear and all mm. the confusion and uncertainty, right? Death is literally hovering over not just our country, our world, right? Well, the message of, Jesus, of Easter and what Jesus has accomplished for us is death as a power has been crushed. I'll still die. Can't hold me. Yeah. Because it can't hold me. I'm not afraid of it. Well, that's a game changer, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, a radical game changer. And so what happens on Easter Sunday, this is how I think uh, N.T. Wright, who I, you and I talk about uh, often, he puts it this way. Um, the message of Easter is that recreation has begun. So rather than see Easter as like God showing off, like, hey, look what I could do if I wanted to in your mm. life, but I, I rarely do. Um, it's the beginning of the recreation of the universe, which God made and he loves. And now our task is to first respond to that, proclaim it, let others know death's been defeated, the power of sin's been defeated, the power of mm -hmm. evil has been defeated, and then to be an active agent to try to do all we can in our spheres of influence to bring everything as best we can into harmony hmm. with God's plan. Um, but there's something about the change that the resurrection brings and that, that today, and that's the thing, even if you've been a practicing Catholic, a, a faithful follower of Jesus your entire life, that today God wants to do something new, but that, that new is, is actually beautiful and dynamic and good, not just a change, just, just, to, just to, to upset you or get you frustrated with life. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, coming down there and visiting you guys. I mean, we saw kind of firsthand what you guys are living through. And um, 
And now the whole country is on top of that, going through all that we're going through with this uh, pandemic. I think what we what we are um, so uncomfortable with is transition. Um, I think what uh, the gospel is, which is helpful, is it gives me a vision and a purpose. Hmm. I think that that's the difference, maybe. So it's not about transitioning. It's you know, there's that proverb which has always been a favorite of mine. Without a without a vision, the people perish. So why are vision statements so important? Not not so you can have a masthead on a piece of paper somewhere that that you don't know, but like what am I living for? You know, like how many people are just longing for purpose and for meaning uh, and for substance in their life? That was my life in my early 20s. Like I just wanted meaning. I wanted to do something that I knew mattered. And the gospel gives me vision, gives me a purpose. There's that line in, um, I got my Bible in front of me. It's Acts chapter 1 and uh, verse 11. This is right as Jesus is ascending, you know, and there's this humorous passage where the Lord's leaving them. And then these angels show up and they're looking at the apostles, looking at the Lord ascend and the angels go, why are you looking up into the sky? <laughs> like, you're supposed to be doing something, you know, like stop staring into the sky. And I think sometimes as Christians, that's what we're doing. We're just kind of staring into the sky, <laughs> waiting for Jesus to come back when he's saying, no, 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 there's work to do. Go do it, whether it's as a basketball coach or as a judge or as a stay-at-home dad or, you know, a, a mom, whatever it is, like, do it all for the glory of God and to try to bring it into harmony again with what it is that God the Father intended it to be from the beginning. The power of the resurrection just in, in our daily lives. And, and, and that's, yeah, that when we're united to Christ, that there, there is no small task. There is no unimportant task, I, I, I should say. Um, that everything can be can have world-changing importance. I think the, the that aspect of vision is something that just a, a tremendous gift that you have. And I know your team there, that you, you've you been a parish priest and a pastor for, for most of your priesthood. And you're in a new, exciting chapter in, in your priesthood and your ministry uh, with Acts 29, with uh, some in, in incredible people that you work with, mm. with uh, Deacon Steve and Mary Guilfoyle there. Much love to them. So why don't you tell us a little, a little bit about that, about that vision that you have for the church, or maybe that's God's vision for the church that you're helping to, to try to to, uh, to to work towards with Acts 29? Yeah, so first of all, if you open up your Bible to Acts 29, you won't find it. Um, that's actually the whole point, right, is that the same Holy Spirit who was operating in the lives of Peter and Paul and Andrew and Thomas and Mary Magdalene and Our Lady, um, he's operating in my life, in your life, wants to. So the same Spirit who wrote that, those first 28 chapters, is writing the next chapter in the church and in the world right now, or at least wants to through you and me. So, um, yeah, we just, we just love that idea that, uh, that we were created for this time. Um, we have as one of the um, kind of the foundational convictions of our work, uh, the line from St. Joan of Arc, and she says, I'm not afraid. God is with me. I was born for this. Mm. And we believe that to be true about Every, every single one of us, that we were born for this moment. God could have created me to be alive in an easier time, if such a time ever existed. Um, but he didn't. He chose you and me to be alive now. And he gave you and me the gifts that we have. And so we want to, uh, we're five people, small team, uh, who all worked in parish ministry. And who we felt like God called us out of parish ministry. So as first and foremost, to, to pour into priests 
So I just, I know myself as a pastor of 15 years, um, and the people who work with me in Acts 29, um, they know because they were served in parish ministry how how many both priests and lay people are um, frustrated, mm. tired, discouraged, uh, lonely, can feel abandoned, uh, overworked, in the lay faithful's case, underpaid. Um, it's just it, something's, uh, something's not working the way that it could. So we feel like our first role is to kind of revive priests. We just we think of ourselves something as the, uh, the Good Samaritan. We just want to pour into priests. So we've brought about 550 priests on retreat over the last uh, 10 months all across the country, uh, doing diocesan retreats for guys and just kind of soaking them in the gospel, offering prayer ministry for them if they want it. And just to watch guys get healed and transformed and, and grow in a deeper conviction in the Lordship of Jesus has been awesome. So that's at the heart of our work is uh, just really trying to minister to priests and then to try to help them. Um, we have another uh, kind of essential principle of our work, help them learn a new way of developing a culture of prayer. So if there, if, if there hasn't been an urgent time before, we're certainly living in it right now. Nobody's been where we are right now, you know, yeah. uh, trying to figure out how to do anything. <laughs> like, how do, you, how do you do church when you've got a social distance? So you guys are trying to do down there what you're doing. Every pastor is grappling with this. And uh, so we have a, a principle that we call God is the architect. Hmm. And so we, we passionately believe um, really based in uh, a set of passages in Exodus where God's telling Moses when he's building the tabernacle in the wilderness, build according to the pattern that I will show you. And so there's already a pattern, a blueprint, if you will, for the tabernacle that God wants Moses to build. Hmm. Moses's task isn't to have a brainstorming session and go, hey, what do you think we should do? Uh, or to call up the neighboring guy and go, hey, what's your tabernacle look like? His task is to get on his face in prayer, confident that God uh, can and wants to reveal this to him, and then to build according to what God shows him, and to trust that God will not ask Moses to do this himself, but he's going to equip certain people with particular gifts to build the tabernacle. And we think, um, we think that's desperately needed right now amongst uh, bishops, priests, um, just to, to have great confidence in God that he speaks, um, that he's passionate about this, that he's not nervous right now. He's not anxious. He's not going, oh, my gosh, what happened? Um, Very good news. <laughs> yeah, it's great news, right? And that he will show us. He's got a blueprint. I think he's got a blueprint for every parish and for every diocese. And uh, the solution, as helpful as best practices can be, that ain't the answer. Right. The answer well, is, Lord, what do you want? And that, that connects back to what we're talking about with the domestic church. With mm. I mean, imagine if a family came together on their faces before the Lord and said, Lord, what is, what is our life in prayer as a family? It's going to look different than it looks like in a monastery or different than what it looks like in a parish. But in our, in our family, what, what is, what is our, our rhythm of prayer and service and outreach? Um, what does that look like? And allow God to give the blueprints that God is the architect and, uh, and, and to really step into that. And how can we be more faithful to what he's already presented to us? 
Yeah. There's an awesome scene, you know, you've seen Hacksaw Ridge, right? Oh yeah. So, you know, Hacksaw Ridge, true story for those of you who haven't seen the, the movie, but there's this really powerful scene, which I think is like one of the greatest prayers I've ever heard in my life where this man is in the middle of a battle. He's now all alone because he's chosen to stay to try to help those who are wounded. And he drops to his knees and he says three things. He starts to pray and he says, what is it you want of me? I don't understand. I can't hear you. Hmm. I don't care whether you're a bishop, a priest, a married man or woman, single person, like that is, especially right now, that is an almost perfect prayer. What is it you want of me? I don't understand. I can't hear you. And then as soon as he prays that, he hears a guy out in the battlefield crying, Hmm. screaming, actually going, medic, help me. And he puts his helmet on and he runs in. And then he spends the rest of the night saving people. And I think a great um, prayer right now is just, we pray those things and we just ask Jesus, like, Jesus, help me to hear who's crying in my life right now. Maybe it's my wife. Maybe it's my husband. Maybe it's my son, my daughter. Some, you know, like inspirations come to us, especially in these days where we can't see each other, to, to reach out call somebody, text somebody, send an email, write a letter. Um, there's so many opportunities right now. If we would only have the ears to hear who's crying in our lives. And then by trying to respond to their cry, then I'm, I'm, I'm recreating, right? I'm letting the Lord use me to recreate somebody who is down, discouraged, whatever the case might be, right? Amen. That's, that's a beautiful, I think a beautiful a beautiful point for us to end on as far as how do you live this this message of the resurrection, the message of Easter in our lives. Uh, Father John Ricardo, it's uh, such a joy. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. How can people follow uh, your work with Acts 29? Website, Acts 29, the, the 29 is in Roman numeral. So Acts, A-C-T-S-X-X-I-X dot org. We can cheer your insomnia. We got lots of <laughs> podcasts and videos out there. So uh, yeah, feel free. Pray for us, please. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And thank you to, to you all for watching today, for sharing these videos and, and uh, this content um, from St. Dominic Media Production Center. Um, on behalf of all of us here in Panama City, uh, God bless you, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Catholic in America, part of the St. Dominic Media Podcast family. Catholic in America seeks to bring you into a conversation about the intersection of faith and culture in the midst of the unique circumstances we face today. Thank you so much to all of our sponsors on Patreon. And if you'd like to be part of our mission, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a rating, and financially support us at patreon.com. Next week, I will be having a conversation with Mr. Damon Owens, who is the uh, founder of Joy2B, an outreach and apostolate of marriage and family life renewal using uh, the truths of our faith and especially John Paul II's theology of the body. Uh, Damon is just an incredible apostle and evangelist and a great guy to talk to. So I'm very excited about that conversation. So make sure you subscribe to our podcast and we'll see you next week with Damon Owens. God bless.